We are continuing the course which we've been doing, which is on, well, the basic Christian beliefs, things that Christians believe everywhere. It's recited by many, many Christian denominations in what's called the Creed. And in the Creed, it says that we believe in the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Now, there's a mouthful for you. And uh, I'm sorry Matt's not here, but he would love to have heard me saying that because whenever he speaks about, uh, he spoke to me about speaking this morning, he kept saying it must be the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. All right, Matt, <laughs> it will be. You know, words carry baggage, don't they? Um, grammarians talk about the denotation and the connotation of a word. So, if you were to look up church in a dictionary, it would say that it's that old-fashioned building on the corner of your street, or it would say it's a, you're, it's a bunch of people uh, singing hymns and shouting alleluia, or it would tell you that it's a but the institution of Christians all around the world, the church. That's the denotation of the word. But you say the word church at a dinner party or in the middle of any party, that's not what people think. There is an immediate use of the connotation of the word church, boring. Right? Church, a bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of judgmental people. Church is behind the times. It's out of date. It's irrelevant. It doesn't do anything. It achieves nothing. Church is just thoroughly unattractive. That's what most people think. You know, how have we in the church performed the miracle of proclaiming the greatest news of freedom in the world? Jesus is risen and made it boring. How have we? How have we made the Spirit of God working through people to reach out and touch others how have we made that unattractive? And yet, that's what most people think. I heard it on the BBC just the other day when a pastor had done some singing and immediately the commentator said, oh, you almost make me want you to come to church. And you could you read the cynicism behind that. We've made people cynical. I'm open to correction, but I think it's D.H. Lawrence who made the statement, Jesus, I might well have followed you if you didn't bring your leprous bride, the church, with you. Leprous bride. And yet, you know, if it was D.H. Lawrence, he was theologically dead accurate. Jesus does bring 
the church with him. The, uh, the German theologian who was martyred by Hitler at the end of the war, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said he had to go through three conversion experiences. He had, first of all, to be converted to Jesus as his Lord. As his Saviour and his Lord. That's the fundamental conversion which changes the whole of life. Now we've had a word this morning that there may be some who, for whom this is going to be a crucial time of making a decision and hearing God speak to you. If there is anybody here who has not yet come to recognize that in Jesus there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is eternal life, there is an absolute transformation. If there's anybody who's not yet discovered that, please, please talk to me, talk to one of the leaders before the end of this day so that we can bring you to him, introduce you to him. It's the most fundamental action that you could make. It is life transforming. So Bonhoeffer had to be converted to Jesus. And then he said he had to be converted to the church. He had to realize that if he was, if Jesus loved him and he loved Jesus, then Jesus loved all these other folk too. Jesus loved them, in fact, again, D.H. Lawrence was correct. <laughs> D.H. Lawrence was correct when he said, your leprous bride. It's a biblical image. The church is Jesus' bride, and he loves his bride. How can I say I love Jesus? And then find people who claim also to love Jesus and say, well, I don't like them much. Yeah, it, I can remember when I was younger being involved in university mission. And here was this guy seeking to proclaim Jesus to a bunch of rather cynical students. And one of them raised the issue of the other Christians in that, that residence whom he regarded as a bunch of nerds. And he said, are you asking me to identify with that bunch? And this young student said, no, I'm not asking you to identify with that bunch. I'm asking you to come to Jesus. And I find myself inside saying, uh-uh, that, that doesn't work. If you're going to come to Jesus, you've got to identify with that bunch. Because they his bride. You're going to have to learn to love them. Liberty, are you lovable? Do people, when they walk in here, sense that they're welcome, that they're loved? Yes, I did, actually, to your credit. When I first came into Liberty, I felt very loved. And we mustn't rely on our rest on our laurels, but be seeking continually the Holy Spirit that we may continue to be able to reach out to others and make them feel this is home. This is where I need to be.
honor for had to learn to love the church. The third one, incidentally, had to be converted to the world around him, but that's another story. The Bible has many images with regard to the church. We've already looked at bride. The church is the body of Christ. It's his vineyard, it's his building, it's his temple. They're all biblical images, and life groups might well think of looking at those images sometime and saying, is that what liberty is? Is this, this is what we need to make it. But our resident theologian, Matt Coley, says I must talk about the holy, catholic, apostolic church. Let's start at the back. Is liberty an apostolic church? It should be. Glenn used to remind us from time to time of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Verse 4. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, that was quite easy because they had the apostles with them. There they were, wandering around and reminding people of what Jesus did, of what Jesus had said. But for us, where do we find the apostles' teaching? Well, we find it in the New Testament, basically. That's what the church did. It collected together the testimony of Jesus' closest disciples, the story they told about him, the teaching, the implications of what he was doing. And they gave us a record of the apostles' teaching. And you will find it in your New Testaments. And we as a church, the church as a whole, ought to be following the apostles' teaching. The trouble is that there are some Christians who feel they need to add to it. So it's the New Testament plus. No, it's not. It's the New Testament. There are others who want to take things out of it. Oh, we don't believe this anymore. We'll get rid of that. Demons, we don't believe in demons anymore. We'll get rid of that. We are an apostolic church. We are based on the teaching of the apostles. The teaching of the apostles is in the New Testament. We need to read it. We need to learn it. Learn it. Yeah, as that which is to be the basis of our living. You know, the Chinese Christians say they don't give you a Bible in prison. You have only what you take in with you. So learn it. Make sure that you reflect on what it means for your life, in your situation, your circumstances. And live by it. Be obedient to Jesus. That's what we are. We believe that the church is a body of people who have come to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and are living by his teaching as recorded for us by the apostles. That is the Christian church. Some that add, some that take away. We seek to be true to what the New Testament teaches. 
we're told also that we are a Catholic church. Now, that has not a great deal to do with Rome. A Catholic church is the church which is to be found in every nation. You remember God's promise to Abraham? Through your seed will all the nations of the earth find blessing. Have they? There isn't a nation on earth today in which there is not some Christian witness. In some countries it's easy. In some countries it's very difficult. And in some countries it's confined to prisons. But every nation has found blessing through the seed of Abraham. The gospel has gone out into all the world. Let people deride the church. The fact of the matter is that starting in Jerusalem, the gospel has spread to every corner of the earth. And we need to recognize that. It's just too easy to think we're the Liberty and the Strand Scout Hall. All over the Hildeberg, there are churches. Yes, there are some I have problems with. There's some I would feel uncomfortable in, but there are Christians there. And we need to be very, very careful when we start talking about other, other churches. Oh, don't go there. It's just pure religion. Let me tell you. When, we, when Charmian and I, when the kids were in the States, where I was lecturing for a short while, we went to our local Anglican church. That was a disaster. It really was. And I, we came out and thought, oh, we must find some, some other spiritual home while we're here. And while we were doing that, we were approached by certain members of that congregation who said, please don't leave us. I can remember saying, there are people in this congregation who are searching for the Lord. And at the moment, they've got very little chance of finding him. Please stay. And so we did. And it wasn't comfortable. We came back sometimes feeling very depressed about the whole thing. But we left America convinced that we had been in the right place. It's his church. He loves it. Doesn't he sad when you make mistakes, but he loves situations like that. He loves the people who are wrestling towards coming to know him. Uh, Jesus must even get excited, I should think. Am I permitted to say that? When he sees somebody getting closer and closer. When he sees other Christians helping them, encouraging them, putting in a word, reaching out and touching them, that's the church. That's the Catholic church. That's the universal church which is every nation on earth. Either we're going to sit here and sing choruses and hymns and spiritual songs and then go and do exactly what we want outside, or we're going to be people who, where we work, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, are looking for the people who are moving towards him. And then just very gently, as servants, come aside. This is the church, and it excites me. Um, can you pick up your Bibles or your 
phones or whatever you carry your the apostolic tradition in and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't know your way around, 1 Corinthians comes just before 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. Paul is writing and he says, it's to the church of God. Note that, please. You're the church of God, the church. Wherever it is in the Hildeberg, wherever it is in the world, is God's church. Don't mock that. That is sacred. However peculiar it looks. However, it's managed to turn the good news into something that's boring. It's God's church. And so are you. Know your identity. The church of God in Corinth. In the Strand Scout Hall. Yes, it's the universal church. It belongs to God. It's in every country. But it forms itself into groups. And if you're in liberty, you form yourself into a group which forms itself into a group and you end up in a life group somewhere. Um, but it does. This is the normal way in which the church meets and worships and operates and witnesses. It's like breathing in and breathing out. We're breathing in at the moment. We're all in the lung. But when we go out of that door, we go out into the world. And we go out with the same Jesus. He isn't uh, here and then sending us out. He's out there already. And you're going to work with him. So that's what we are. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Jesus uses the image of a loaf of bread cooking. It's got yeast in it, right? So you can look at that thing in the oven, but there's a dynamic that is operating in it all the time. That yeast is working through that dough. The Spirit of God works through the church. If you've walked with Jesus over this last week, you are not the same person you were last Sunday. You are not. You may not have perceived it. Others may not have perceived it yet. But the Spirit of God is at work in his people. He's changing them. He's making them day by day more like Jesus. That's the church. But people think it's boring. Why? What? No one. I find it exciting. We'll get to it later, but it is the holy Catholic apostolic church. He's making you holy. Now, boy, that's another word that carries connotation. Holy. Yeah. Never says a word wrong. As far as the 
scribes and the Pharisees were concerned, Jesus said a lot that was wrong. Sanctified Christ, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not a little island. There are a whole lot of Christians meeting around the Hildeberg this morning. The word is being proclaimed in a whole lot of places. There are a whole lot of people who are not in here who are excited because they've discovered the vitality of Jesus in their lives. God is at work right across the world. He really is. In the remotest hamlet somewhere in Siberia, he's at work. In the suburbs of New York, he's at work. And people are being changed. And we've got to recognize that. We've got to fall in love with this church. When you're in a strange town and you see a church, pray for it, please. Whether it's a large church or a small church, pray for it. When you see its name up in an advert, pray for it. Because that's where God is, is working. Now it's working in the world as well. That's why uh, Bonhoeffer had to be converted to the world. But he's here, and we are his people. We are God's church. With all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Are you with that? Their Lord and ours. Now, Flick on, please, to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. That's who you are. Chosen by God. He reached out and said, I choose you. But when I look at people from other churches, he's done the same there. We don't have a monopoly on the choice of God. He's reaching out to others. And he, loves the, he loves this witness that he's forming in the world and in the lives of people. Do you get that? Do you feel his love? You need to, and you need to particularly out there. You are chosen of God. God's elect strangers in the world. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But yes, that's the church is too. Perhaps that's why you can't say church across the dinner table. Because the people around you see the church as a stranger. It doesn't live the way they live. It doesn't speak the language they speak and it doesn't tell the jokes that they tell. strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia Asia, Bithynia, Paraguay Peru Russia you're a Christian right the way across it's a Catholic church it's universal who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father 
Look at that view. For um, the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Father, Spirit, Son, and sprinkling by His blood. We are forgiven people. And when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, what He sees is Jesus. That's what makes us acceptable. That's why He loves us. The Father loves His Son. And when he looks at those who have surrendered themselves to Jesus, he sees the Son. He sees what he loves. His heart is warmed to it. That's the church. Get excited about it. It's the holy Catholic apostolic church. Now, I won't give you all the Hebrew and Greek words, but for the, for the Hebrew, for the Jew, for the Old Testament, the word for holy meant separate, apart from. So here were the things of the world, but they were things that were apart, given over to God. And when it comes across into the New Testament, we find that that it carries the same effect as that. But I got this definition from somewhere. It is a revelation of God's character in an individual. We're supposed to reflect God to the world. His standards, the way he assesses things, his judgment and his love. It's the antithesis in character of what is purely secular. The dead opposite of anything that excludes God. Now we live in a culture that increasingly excludes God. That's the world we live in. People are cynical about God. You talk again publicly and suggest that God has done something you met with sarcastic remarks. And you don't do it again. John Stott wrote in a commentary on the letter to the Ephesians and he called it the Christian counterculture. Now, a counterculture is something within a culture which is going against the current. And this is what the church is meant to do in the power of the spirit of Jesus. There is a current in our world. We all know it. We see it on television. We read it in books and magazines. We talk about things being politically correct. And if it's politically correct, they can say that, but if it's politically incorrect, you can't say that. A judge in Britain recently, Britain, a supposedly Christian country, saying in terms of British law today, there are statements in the Bible which must be categorized in a court of law as hate speech. And we would send to jail 
anybody who used it. That's created quite a sensation in England because people have said, if I read this, it's in the lesson for the day, and I read this, am I guilty of hate speech? And the answer has come back, possibly. That's where the culture has gone. How do you counterculture it? How do you go back on it? How do you say, no, this is not acceptable? Countercultures create tension. It's like a grit in a machine. The machine is working nicely, and in comes this obstruction, and it seems to grind. But I'm afraid that's what we're called upon to do. We're called to be countercultural where we work, countercultural in our homes, in the way we bring up our children, countercultural in the way we, uh, uh, a, a, um, we deal with sport or recreation. I had a an amusing story. Is, is Calvin here? I thought I saw him. Oh, he is. Calvin was playing golf the other day, as he does quite regularly. He's, he's countercultural on the golf course. Um, and he had a caddy. And he said it was an absolutely amazing caddy because every time he played a shot, this caddy had little off, cleaned his club before putting it back in the Every time he took it up and cleaned his life. Well, you know, that's an amazing caddy. That's really attention to duty. But I couldn't help being amazed when, when Calvin told me that the caddy's name was Glenn Boddington. <laughs> See? That's countercultural, Glenn. <laughs> um, but it's not what caddies do. Again, let's look at this Bible, um, John's Gospel, chapter 13. This is uh, a recording of everything that Jesus spoke about on the night before he was betrayed. Chapter 13, verse 12. He's just been washing the disciples' feet. And he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Who normally washed feet in that culture? Slaves. The lowest people in society washed feet. You couldn't be more countercultural, could you? And he whom you've been calling teacher and Lord, whom you've respecting, honoring, strips himself, puts a towel around his waist and washes your feet. 
I have set you an example. Now comes the crunch. That you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's the church. That's what the church is meant to be doing. Washing the feet of the least desirable. Getting involved in real problems of every sort, political, economic, social, religious, the whole gamut of human life. That's where the church is meant to be washing feet. And if the church were doing that, I doubt whether the world would find it quite so unattractive. Still in John, just turn over a page to chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. He's talking to the church which he loves. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Now he's just given us his peace. Right? And then he goes on immediately. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Now that to me is a warning sign. I'm giving you my peace, but out there, you're going to have trouble. Out there, it's not quite so easy. Carry my peace with you. And when you get hit head on, don't be afraid. What about a fearless church? You know, we're still in the Easter season. We're still dealing with a Jesus that has risen from the dead. We're still under the promise of eternal life. What have we to be afraid of, ultimately? I am in no danger, only close to death. Says T.S. Eliot. I am in no danger, only close to death. A profound statement. And then just turn over again, 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. The church, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. What is it to be out of the world? How does that square with Jesus saying, go into the world and preach the gospel? Win disciples, teach them everything that I have taught you. Well, 
for years, Christians discovered, and years after Jesus, that the world is a very wicked place. And we see this still. We see parents who brought up their children as Christians saddened by seeing the, the choices their children make as they go into the world. And suddenly the pressures of drink and sex and all the rest of it begin to play on their lives. And honestly, the world is a very powerful place. And so Christians decided that they must, to do this, they must get out of the world. They went off into the African desert and created monasteries so they could be away from the world. Then an Italian called Benedict came along and said, but we're told to go into the world to make disciples. So he didn't abandon monasteries. He created the monasteries, the fellowship of the church, but he always planted his monasteries where paganism met Christianity on the borders until it went beyond that monastery and then you planted another monastery. And so we get our church planting tradition of pushing out always, but always in the fellowship of fellow Christians. But that's what Christians are to be like. I just long that the Christian church will become that in which people see the beauty of Jesus. Not dull, not boring, not unattractive. Please, not a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and they live another. And I've seen that. I think I pray for churches in which I'm involved in limited that when we get out there, our places of work and our homes. The fact that Jesus has chosen me, the fact that Jesus loves me, may be a motivating factor making me love the people I'm with and seeking to draw them into a fellowship that I have learned to love and where I know they'll grow. I have been a member of congregations which have puzzled me because I, I find saying, if I find myself with a, a Christian or a person who's just given their life to Christ, am I actually going to bring them there? Won't that kill them stone dead? It's sad, isn't it? I'm going to be able to say, let me take you to the place where I worship. The guy who brought me to the Lord, he, he took me into the fellowship of the church. And it came alive. And I came alive with it. The people who come in here for the first time, people who are new Christians, who's growing and trying to find out how to be Christian, well, they come in here and just discover love and acceptance. I believe in the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. That great ecclesiastical mouthpiece. I believe in it. Because Jesus loves it. And Jesus wants to use it. And everybody in it. And Jesus wants it to be a fellowship of warmth and affection, of love and of witness. What was it you were saying? 
May this be a day when somebody finds a new vision and becomes recognizer that the fellowship around it is something different from what he expected. That liberty is a fellowship to be trusted. I believe it is. I really believe it is. That's what I'm doing here. I'm growing out of your fellowship day by day. And I hope you are. And I know that I could bring somebody here and that he would find in here acceptance. And I find that very beautiful.